and see uh, what you have to say to us as a church, as individuals. Uh, we invite your Holy Spirit. We plead with you that your Holy Spirit would be here uh, doing the work in us that needs to be done so that we can respond to what we hear. So open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive, Lord, and do the work in us necessary for us to uh, not just be challenged by what your word says, but to go out there and live what your word says. Uh, May we be clear on what it says, and may we be resolute in our desire to do what it says. And only you can do that in us, Father. So we ask you to do it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we uh, continue in our series, basic, the idea behind that is we wanted to just take a few weeks to get down to basics, right? Um, we just want to get back to the fundamentals. We want to get back to those things that every Christian should be doing and should be doing well. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we put that up on a whiteboard here. What are the things that if someone became a Christian and you had the opportunity to show them what it takes to be a Christian? They didn't grow up in a church. They didn't grow up with any kind of church background. So they don't know what it means to walk with Jesus or grow in Jesus or what worship is or what what anything is. And so they don't know their way around the Bible. So how do you? And then we put some stuff up on the board. You remember that? And one of those things we put up was prayer. Right? And we wanted, to, we wanted to say, look, prayer is one of those bare bones, basic things. If, if you're a Christian of any kind, of any kind of background, no matter how long you've been a Christian, prayer is one of those lifelines. It's one of those basics that we want to make sure that we capitalize on well as a church. And so we want our church to be defined by prayer. We want prayer to have primacy in our church. We want prayer to come before everything else because without prayer, everything else loses its effectiveness, right? And so we talked about the importance of prayer. Uh, prayer going behind everything. We, I point to our banners frequently. We worship as a church. We believe in reaching out to people. We fellowship together so don't, we don't become, you know, an ingrown group of people who don't care about anyone else. Uh, we outreach, we fellowship, and, but without prayer... Those three won't be effective. Without prayer, our worship will be fake. Our worship will be weak. It will be less sincere. It will be less moving, less life-changing. Without prayer, we, our outreach efforts will falter. And we'll try to talk to people. Remember when we talked about prayer, Paul had that verse, pray for me that the door would be open. In other words, if you don't pray for me, that door won't be open. And pray that when the door is open, I'll be able to proclaim the gospel, the mystery of Christ, clearly. Now, Paul's asking for clarity there, even though he's, he's an apostle, right? But it won't happen if the church in Colossae is not praying for him. Our fellowship together, our unity, us getting along, our chemistry, our ability to come together with different backgrounds and different tastes, okay? Um, that takes a work of God to do that. And so we need to put prayer behind that. Otherwise, we can just slip into another kind of church where there's gossiping and cliques and backbiting and favoritism and partiality. But prayer keeps that at bay. And so we believe in prayer. One of the other things we put on the board was evangelism, talking to people about Christ. And that's one that I think is is tough because we know that academically. It didn't take very long for that to come up on the board. But still, I think churches, more and more, we depend on mailers. 
We depend on Facebook connections. We try to utilize social media to get stuff out there. We're really good at pinning stuff up on community bulletin boards. But is any of that really evangelism, though? I mean, I like that. That's good stuff. You know, as long as we have the money to get stuff out there, we have people cutting us deals on water bottle labels and we're handing them out. That's awesome. But we don't, but that's not evangelism. And so we want to be a church. If evangelism is a basic, we want to be a church that capitalizes and is good at that basic, right? At that good thing. Remember when Jesus uh, commended the church in Ephesus, you guys are really good at doctrine. You guys are really good at Bible. You guys are really good at keeping people out who teach false stuff. That's awesome. And Jesus, he commended that. That's great. But you guys need to get back to the first works. Or I'll take that lampstand away from you. You can have a church building. You can have a steeple. You can have a well-manicured lawn. I'll take that lampstand away because you're not doing the basics. right? And so we're going to look at some of these basics. And today, we're going to look at this topic of evangelism. And when I think about evangelism... I think of, um, it's almost like when Jesus is writing, having John write this letter to Ephesus, it's like, you're doing great on these things, but here's where you're dropping the ball, right? And that phrase comes to my mind, and when I think of that phrase, I don't know really where it comes from, and I didn't like Google how that phrase came about, but when I think of that phrase, because I'm a baseball guy, immediately the thing that I think of is when there's a pop-up, like the batter hits the ball and it's going into the outfield, and you've got three world-class athletes paid millions of dollars and they've done this routine play thousands of times and, and they're all three of them going for it. There's three guys. If you're the batter, you're like, forget it. You know, you're not even going fast toward first base because you're like, forget it. And then it lands in the grass. Maybe that's where the phrase comes. They dropped the ball. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? That's crazy. How do three people, well, it's easy. Each one of them thought the other one had it. Right? Oh, and then they yell, you're supposed to call it out. I thought you were calling it out. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're the center fielder. You're supposed to have first dibs. Yeah, but I was closer. Each one thought the other one had it. Right? And therefore, they dropped the ball. I think evangelism falls into that category. Why we don't do it. It's not that we don't believe in it. It's not that it's necessarily difficult. It's just that we think someone else got it. I don't know. Someone else will talk to that neighbor. Someone else will talk to that person. Some churches bring it all in the pastor, you know. As soon as they meet somebody, well, here, call my pastor. No, they met you, right? And so we want to we not drop the ball on evangelism as a church. And to do that, we've got to stop depending on Facebook, stop depending on flyers, stop depending on mailers, stop asking people, just click on a sermon and let Pastor Lucas do it. No, they met you. And so we're going to uh, unpack evangelism a little bit in terms of our responsibility as a church, okay? And then we're going to end with just a, a couple practical tips really quick on how to do that. First, let's just look at this famous passage, okay, on, on the screen. Um, this isn't where we're going to mainly be today, but most of us are familiar with this passage, okay? This is the, the Great Commission, as we call it. And uh, this is at the end of the book of Matthew. And the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Jesus said, meet me there. Let's have a meeting. Let's have a team meeting because this is going to be... a one of our last ones, okay? And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. You know, they weren't all all-stars, but they're there. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
Now you go back, well, what were they doubting? You know, because it says, and some doubted. And Jesus said, so he's addressing the doubt. They weren't doubting, is Jesus real? Did Jesus really raise again? They know they're supposed to be on a mission, but they're doubting the mission. They're doubting their ability to do the mission. And he encourages by saying, you're not going to do the mission on your own. You're going to do the mission because I've given you authority. That's how he's addressing the doubt. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But don't just leave them standing in the tank wet. Get them out. And now what? Teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Again, the encouragement to relieve the doubts, to relieve the fears of what it takes to evangelize. I will be with you to the end of the age. To the end of the age. Okay? Now the question there, the question there, is Jesus addressing, I almost said the 12, there's one missing in that scenario. Is he addressing the 11 apostles, the 11 disciples that he personally trained and saying, you guys, you guys are going are gonna to make disciples and keep making disciples and keep making disciples and you guys are going to make all the disciples in the world? Is he saying that? Because if he's saying that, then you have to be an apostle to evangelize. If he's saying that, you have to be a church official. You have to be an elder. You have to uh, write scripture. You have to have spent personal time with Jesus. And evangelism should have died a long time ago. But is there scriptural uh, evidence to show us that, no, evangelism is not just for the gifted few, and it's not just for the pastor and the clergy. It's not just for the elders. Evangelism is for every believer. Can we make a biblical case that it's every believer's job, that it's every disciple's priority to continue this great commission? Well, the first clue, we get it right here, that it's all nations. Could 11 guys do all nations by themselves? Probably not. And he said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. With just them to the end of the age? Well, he'll be with them to the end of their life, and then they go meet Jesus. But to the end of the age, what age? The age until Jesus' kingdom comes, which was one of Matthew's themes. So he's saying, until I come back, until I come back and establish my kingdom, I'm going to be with you. But they're long gone, guys, right? So when he says, I'll be with you, it can't just mean those 11. It has to mean all that the 11 would produce, all their disciples that they baptize and the ones that they baptize and the ones that are baptized by them. It's this exponential multiplying effect right? And so in that sense, we're all disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And that means that this command, therefore go, go therefore make disciples, baptizing them, okay? That's a command for all churches and all believers. I want to take three stops in Acts, in the book of Acts, okay? If you could turn to Acts chapter 1. It's the first book after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1. And we're going to take three stops really quickly in the book of Acts to reinforce the truth that it's every believer's job, it's every believer's duty to communicate the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to share their faith, to share Christ with others who don't know him. So the first one, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, okay? Acts chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 8, okay? Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is, this is now his last speech, his last meeting, his last focus group, you know, with the guys. And when they came together, they asked him, is he going to restore the kingdom now? Like, is the end of the age now? Can it be now? How about now? Are we there yet? Okay. They're his kids. 
Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by its own authority. He said, verse 8, but, see, because they're, they're still scared. They just want Jesus to do it. Can you just come and set it up? They're still hesitant and doubtful about this mission. But you will receive power. You know, you're not going to be on your own. Again, he's reemphasized. You're not on your own. You're going to receive power to do this. You're going to receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we had said these things. They were looking on. He's lifted up a cloud, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, like, uh, you know. <laughs> Behold, two men stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? You know, why are you just standing there? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And reading in between the lines, that was a kick in the pants, like, go and get the Holy, you know, when you receive the Holy Spirit, go do what you're supposed to do. Don't just stand there staring into heaven. And I think a lot of churches were kind of just stuck staring into heaven, right? And it's really holy. It's really, really oh, we're just worshipful. We're just, we're apart from the world. We're different from the world. We don't have contact with the world. We just stare into heaven and worship him all day. Well, worship is great, guys, but worship isn't complete if we're disobeying the one we're worshiping. And the one we're worshiping is saying, go and make disciples. And it applies to each and every one of us that knows Jesus, right? John's got Bibles. If you need Bibles, you just slip your hand up and, and he'll, he'll get those out to you. All right, so he's saying, he's saying you're going to go out, and geographically he gives them a map, right? Like, here's the, here's the map. You're going to go out, and where are you going to go? He says, you're going to go in Jerusalem. Maybe 11 guys could do that. You're going to go out into all Judea. Oh, that just got pretty tough. And Samaria. Who wants to go there, they're probably thinking. And to the end of the earth. Every corner of the earth, every tribe, every tongue, even the ones that, you know, their language, we, we can't understand. They're throwing spears and, and boring pigs, and it's 2013. And those most remote tribes, yes, even them. So this is not a mission that 11 guys could accomplish. It would take the guys that they disciple and the guys that they disciple and the guys that they disciple in order to do that. Each and every one of us is here because these 11 guys did their job. We're here. We heard it from someone or we heard it from our parents or something from someone who got it from someone else because they did the work of evangelism. And so this can't just be about the 11. Let's take another stop. Stop number two. That's in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. So same book. Just flip over to chapter 8. Okay, let's just look at the first four verses there. This guy Saul is ravaging the church. He's persecuting them, dragging them out of their homes, beating them up, trying to get them killed. Some of them getting killed. They're successful stoning Stephen, etc. And Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, where they were supposed to go in the first place. But it took persecution to get them there. Another kick in the pants, right? But listen, it says they were all scattered except the apostles. Okay? Right? So you're with me, right? Everyone scattered. All the Christians left Jerusalem except the apostles. Now, look what it says in the next verse. 
devout men buried Stephen, the, 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 the martyrs, the disciple that got killed, executed, and great lament, made great lamentation for him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So persecution is happening. Now verse 4. Now those who were scattered. Now who were scattered? Who was scattered? What's that? All the Christians except the apostles. All the non-apostles were scattered. And here's what they did in verse 4. They went about preaching the word. Now, preach is a very seminary word, isn't it? You go to seminary and you learn how to preach. Lucas, what do you teach at Moody? Oh, I teach him how to preach. What does your pastor do? I don't know. Plays golf all week and then preaches on a Sunday. No. Pastors preach. Pastors proclaim. Pastors stand up. To preach, you need a pulpit. To preach, you need to exegete a passage and understand the language. And That's preaching. Okay? But not, not to Luke, who wrote this. Okay? He's saying everybody that went out and just shared Jesus with the next person, it doesn't matter if they were three months in the faith or three years in the faith. They went out and they preached. Okay? Now, people don't want to hear it. Like, ah, stop preaching at me. Our response, what's our response going to be? Like, okay, well, let's just have lunch and not talk about it. You've got to find another way to, to preach at them, right? You've got to find another way to deliver it because that's obeying the Great Commission. You're supposed to obey it. And even if you're not an apostle or a big-time leader in the church, all of the saints that got scattered, they all preached. They all preached. It was, all, it was their responsibility that they shared together. Let's do one more stop. Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And here we're going to be in verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Again, the church is scattered because of the persecution. Okay. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Okay? But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to Hellenists, you know, the non-Jews, the Greeks. Also, and what were they doing? preaching the Lord Jesus. And it worked because they were so good at it. No. Verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them. What He promised in Matthew 28, what He promised in Acts chapter 1, you're going to do it and it's going to work. Not because you're good at it. Not because you memorized a bunch of verses. And it's not because you took Mark Cushman's apologetics class. And it's not because you sat under Lucas's teaching for over a year. You're going to do it, and it's going to be effective because the Lord's hand is going to be upon you. The Holy Spirit is going to be upon you. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, and that's what's going to make it work. After the conversation, that awkward conversation, and you think you said Jesus, and now they're going to hate you, and you bumbled like a doofus, and you're just like going over the conversation in your head like, that was terrible, that was so terrible, he said this, and I, I shouldn't have responded with that, I should have responded with this. And next thing you know, they're calling you, weeping, and they want to come to the Lord. That's a work of God. That's a work of God. And so, it says, the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It was effective because God was with them. It wasn't effective because they were Christians for a long time. They weren't Christians for a long time. It's the book of Acts. The church just started. 
Okay? And they shared Jesus. They preached just what they knew. And they shared it. And great numbers of people came to the Lord because God was with them. But Jesus said, I will be with you as you go and make disciples. So there's our part, right? I mean, we can't just say, well, God is sovereign, so go save them, God. No, he, in his sovereignty, chooses to save people through contact with people who are already saved. So we need to get out there and be the feet, be the hands, be Jesus to people. And we're how they're going to meet Christ. Like I told you, this, we're getting back to basics, right? We're getting back to just nitty-gritty, bare bones, what a church should be. And I think this is what we need to be. Now, some of us, maybe we first gave our lives to Christ and we were so excited about him. We talked to people about Jesus and we shared Jesus to people and we fumbled, but we didn't care. And we picked it up and we kept going. And when they asked us a question and we didn't know it, we went and researched it, talked about it with our small group or with our pastor and looked it up in the ver- some verses. And we came back and said, hey, I've got something for that. And we kept going. And then after a while, we got tired. After a while, we're like, Ugh, I don't want to be like the crazy zealot. You know, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm part of a cult. And we all have all kinds of excuses why eventually it kind of, you know, fizzles out. Some of us maybe never even had that, that little stretch of innocent childlike evangelism. You know, we've always been shy and we've always been very reserved and we're, we shine in church when everyone's, you know, everyone loves Jesus at church and it's easy to love Jesus amongst people that love Jesus. But then when we're out there, we just kind of, we pull back and we're reserved and we're scared and we're not sure. But there's a command that we have to deal with in scripture and jesus said my burden is light you know so it's not like he's trying to like you know slam you with something impossible to do you can do it and it'll be effective because he's in it and it's not going to be effective because you're so well versed in the bible and apologetics things like that so we have to trust him we have to take him at his word and we have to kind of get out of our skin and, and get out there and, and do our best to to share we should all be intentional and I think it's okay to prepare for those conversations. I think it's okay to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to Stephen. And when I talk to Stephen, I know he's going to have these kind of questions, and he's going to think this because we've talked before. I'm going I'm to try to get ready for that. Andy, do you have that verse, 1 Peter chapter 3? It's the verse from which we get the word apologetics because apologetics means defense. He says, uh, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Obey him, honor him, worship him. And in that worship, in honoring Christ, you need to do something. You need to always be prepared to make a defense, to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, you know. Don't like, look, I mean, the Bible says if you don't believe in God, you're a fool. Yeah, the Bible says that, but you probably, that's probably not your opening line. You know, when you're talking, talking to someone, okay, there's, there's truth, and then, but there's truth in love. You know, you gotta, there needs to be that gentleness and that respect, okay? Now, most of us, we need help getting to that point where we, we're opening our mouths and saying something, but a few of us, Peter is realizing, and Peter was probably one of them, and probably from experience, he's saying, some of you guys just want to beat people over the head and, like, chop their ears off with a sword, Peter, right? So he's like, I learned that you got to calm down a little bit and be gentle and be respectful. Meet them where they are. Don't like, oh my goodness, we've been meeting three times and, and you're still cussing, man? You know, like gentleness, respect, and meet them where they are. They might have crazy questions. They might have questions that you never had and you think those questions are stupid. That's okay. 
Meet them where they are, but have an answer. Have something to say. Even if it's, you know what, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to check that out. Or let's check it out together. Let's read a couple verses together and look at that together. But it takes preparation, and that's okay. That's all right, all right? It takes work. So we've got to be intentional about it and start thinking, okay, if I talk with this person and they're going to ask a question, how would I answer that question? If I'm going to talk to this person and they try to say this other thing, what would I say about that? You're looking for inroads. You're sitting and you're talking. This person complaining about their marriage. You're going, okay, what does the Bible say about marriage? God created it. Christ is, is designed for Christ to be the center of it. It's designed to be an analogy of Christ in the church. So therefore, your marriage will never be complete. Your marriage will never be what it's supposed to be. Your marriage will never be com- fulfilling the way it's supposed to be if Christ is not in it. And so maybe take them there. Or maybe they're complaining about work. Like, okay, but is, is work your life? Is that the purpose for your whole life? What's your purpose for your whole life? And then maybe that'll cast a better light on what you should be doing at work. So you want to find roads to connect them to the gospel. And you're going you're gonna to look for that opening in a conversation. Okay, you're going you're gonna, to, like I talked about, you know, when two people are holding the jump rope and it's double dutch, you know, and you're looking for that opening to jump in there. That, that's kind of what you're doing in evangelism. You're, you're, you're not just like, hey, hey, I noticed you're, you're new in the office and uh, I just want to tell you, give your life to Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. Goodbye. I mean, you, you, you want to say, hey, hey, I noticed you're new in the office. Let's go grab lunch. And then at lunch, talk about how the Red Sox are just destroying your team uh, every time they meet. And then they'll go, ah, see, they'll get a reaction. And then so now, you gotta, now you're talking, right? Now you're talking. Then, oh, the Red Sox, blah, blah. Now you've got a conversation going. And then I don't know how you work it in. I don't know how you are. The, the socks are red, red, blood of Jesus. Have you given your life? No, that's bad. But you've got to prepare it. Okay, you've got to find a way. You've got to find an opening. Maybe they like sports. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have a similar car as you. Maybe they go to the similar restaurants as you. You can talk food. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But you find an inroad in the conversation. You're showing them, hey, I'm here to be a friend. I'm not here to thump you over the head with a Bible. I'm not here to uh, bring you into a cult or like assimilate you into our church. I just want to tell you about Jesus. These scattered Christians, you know, they, they, they weren't like, well, I don't have my church business card on me. Well, maybe it's too far of a commute to the nearest church, so I ah, forget it. Oh, well, they speak a different language. I'm from over here, but they're scattered, right? They're in a different territory. They didn't care. They, they didn't have any excuses. They just did it. They just did it. Um, I think, uh, I don't want to embarrass you, Tina, but I told her I'd do this. Um, my wife, Tina, I think she's, she's got a really good knack for finding uh, context to meet people. And she's always meeting people. Oh, I met someone today, and they were really interested in coming check out church. Oh, I met someone today, and, and then we talked about the Lord. And it's not always successful, but, but she finds uh, places to do that. Uh, might be moms at Girl Scouts, you know. It might be when we take our kids to a, a, one of their baseball games or something, and you're sitting in the bleachers, and she just she knows all those parents now because she's very extroverted and she's good at that, you know. Um, she finds uh, parents at school, you know, and when the, we're waiting to pick up the kids at school, and she'll introduce herself and oh, you know, talk to oh, is your 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 kid is a friend with my kid, and you know, there's another connection, and so she's mindfully looking for connections. Okay, um, I do that a lot worse and a lot less. So I'm using her as an, a good example, right? Of, of being intentional about looking for those contexts and saying, okay, is there someone in this context I can talk to? Okay, now some of you have done that. Some of you have done that, but after a year, two years, three years, you kind of gave up. That's okay. Keep praying for that person, but find another person to talk to. Okay, and that's all right. Um, what I'm going to do real quickly is before we close, 
uh, I shot a little video. I didn't shoot it. Uh, Brandon helped me. Some of you remember Brandon playing drums. And I wanted to show you from the congregation, someone who I think is exemplifying this intentionality, and that's, and that's Danny Myers. Thank you for allowing us to embarrass you on video, right? But no, I should be the one embarrassed because it's real ghetto footage. I just, we shot it with my phone and it's, it's crazy, but it's cool, right? Um, so in this video, we asked, I asked him a few questions, okay? I asked him a few questions to just get us an idea of, okay, how's Danny doing it? And uh, he's doing it with a longtime friend named Hank that he's known for many, many years. Um, who's the Hank in your life, right? And how, how can you make a connection with a person that God has put in your life that you know doesn't know the Lord and that may not show up at church but would have lunch with you, would go out for coffee with you, would have a conversation with you? Um, so let's just watch this very quick uh, video, and I'll wrap it up with a couple of points. I've known Hank since sophomore year of high school, so I've known him for 45 years. But as in life, after graduation, we lost contact. I hadn't seen or heard from him up until our 40th high school reunion, and we've been in contact ever since. Hank was raised a Catholic but a non-practicing Catholic. So he does know some of the stories in the Bible, but he doesn't know the meaning behind them. Hank has had a hard life. So when we meet, I try to listen to his stories on the current problems that he's having. But sometimes that prevents presents difficulty in trying to talk about the Bible. When I know I'm going to meet Hank, I pray that God will give me the opportunity in our conversation to talk to him about the Bible. When a guy has made up his mind about something, he's not open to suggestions or receptive to things if you try preaching to him. But if you ask a guy for a favor, he is more than willing to help you. I felt that the Holy Spirit put it on my heart that I should ask Hank to help me. And when I did, he was more than happy to do so. I presented it as it is Christian's duty to help people learn about Christ in the Bible. And of course he said, well, I'll help you with that, but you're not going to convince me to do it. And I said, no, I just need your help uh, so that I can practice on you and that'll help me with other people. And I said, you are a good debater and you would be a good test for me on how to learn how to do that. And when I presented it that way, then he was more than happy to help me. When I met Hank and I heard of all the problems that he was having in life, I thought he would be the perfect person that I could try to help to come to know the Lord and those would be the answers for him rather than everything in the material world that he uses as excuses for the things that happened to him. 
Well, first I would encourage them to pray about it, and then I would ask them to prepare for it so that you're not tripped up by any particular question. And the way I do it is I pray about it and prepare, and I make sure I have the bases covered so that the person, in this case Hank, will know what I'm talking about and encourage him to ask more questions so that we can continue uh, growing together in Christ. And I'm so thrilled that I have this opportunity to do that. It makes me feel good, and I know I couldn't do it if God didn't open the door for me. So I praise God for giving me this opportunity to try and help Hank.